It's green for go. They're racing. He says go. He says Tara. And Tiger Tara rolls away from them on the home turn. Here comes another big boil over. Equine athleticism at its best. The king is in the castle once more. This is in one race. The rest are almost in another post. She is a star with a capital S. It's going to be a triple treat. A miracle three-peat. Ladies and gentlemen, you have witnessed history here at Menangle. What about that? It's getting right up on the sprint lane and it's going to bolt in. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Sprint Lane Podcast. Paul Cochran with you, and we're continuing today our Tab Eureka series. Of course, the build-up continues. It is the most exciting, uh, I guess, advent in harness racing that we've seen in a long, long time. And today we've got a great guest with us, the man who's probably been the architect of of this event in so many ways, Andrew Kelly, the CEO of Harness Racing Australia. Welcome, mate. Yeah, it's great to be here and it's great to be talking about this at such an exciting time. There's so much happening. Um, it's the second time we've had you on the Sprint Lane because we had you on the live show when we started to talk about the, the Eureka and it was, well, it wasn't it wasn't a, a pipe dream at the time because it was a reality, but we were trying to wrap our heads around a little bit more. Gee, we've come a long way because that was, what, about six weeks or so ago that we were talking about it, maybe a little bit less. So much work has happened in, in that short amount of time, hasn't it? Yeah, it's layer upon layer of you know, both expectation, delivery, what we're able to do with the event. And the, one of the great things about this is being able to present harness racing in a way that's never been presented before and being able to come up with um, such great partners in yourselves at Harness Racing New South Wales and Club Menangle. And I know I keep saying it, Tab as well. It's a really joint effort at the moment and that's what's going to make it great, the collaborative approach and you know, having an open mind. So take us back, mate. When, when did this first become a something that was even mentioned, like a a concept that was, was probably written down on a bit of paper, a board paper or something like that? When when did the the initial thought bubble emerge? Well, slot races are something that you know we've benchmarked ourselves against. Everyone knows everything about the Everest. Everything knows. Everyone understands what a great. Um, thought that was of Peter Volandis and what he's been able to do to advertise that and market that. Um, the, the hell out of it, really. It's an international concept. It's caught everyone. So we're unashamedly backed ourselves on the, or you know, coming on the back of that, realizing that yeah, these work. Everyone around the country is doing their darndest to turn their revenue into prize money. They're pouring as much percentage into the into that stake that they possibly can. Spread the money far and wide. State controlling body is doing a great job of that. We understand that at that time. You know, probably going back three years now, various states were looking at this and seeing whether or not that was something that they were able to do. And for whatever reason, they get close, but just couldn't quite take that that final step. And funding was the big funding was the big issue. So yeah, there's a slot race concept. It can work. It can sell the dream. It can bring new players to the sport. It can present yourself in a way that you haven't been able to present before. But Quite often, as is the case, where's the cash to get you to that point? And that was, you know, let's be warts and all about this. That was a very contentious issue at the time for whether or not Harness Racing Australia had a place or a role to play in this space at all. And if it did, how it would be able to generate the income or the revenue that was going to be necessary to be able to fill that void and take the industry into that into that space. It was a very gutsy decision by the the board at the time to start to investigate the different ways that this might be able to um, this might be able to happen, and this was 
you know, probably at a time when there was a few different issues or a few different concepts kicking around, investing in the Inter-Dominion, the slot race, more juvenile racing, investment in Australian Oaks, Australian Derbies. These were the sort of conversations that, you know, maybe I'm talking out of school a little bit when people listen to this now, but to give, a, give an indication that there was a want of the executive, which is all the chairs of the state controlling bodies and the independent chairman in Graham Campbell OAM, who's well known to you here in New South Wales. Um, to elevate the sport to a position where it could be, you know, had something that no one else had. We were able to um, sell a dream, as I said before, bring new people to the sport. And the concept became, maybe there's a way that we can do this and also try and protect the breeding industry a little bit or more investment in in, um, in yielding sales and um, generating uh, more foals. Um or better false, and this is a controversial thing because sometimes we talk about this and people look at the foal numbers and say, "Oh, yeah, it hasn't worked," or you know, "We're slipping," or and we can debate all of that about whether or not we've got better mares now and we're getting a better product as a result of it. And you know, I think the racetrack performances speak speak well to that. But one of the ways was to say, "Okay, there's a lot of imported blood in the in the particularly the stallion ranks. Is there a way in which we can utilise the breeding industry?" and particularly the more commercial breeders to, to help fund an industry in something that's a, 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 a the bigger picture here. And um, we consulted widely. I know not everyone believes that, but, you know, we did. We uh, took this to the market of, uh, at least a couple of times in a, in a few different iterations. We were really interested to see what um, particularly the studs and the breeders associations might think about some of the concepts that we put on the table. Um, some people listening to this would be familiar with the Advance Australia concept, which was sort of the you know, working title at the time, with the, you know, reinvesting in, the, um, um, in our own industry. And so um, one thing led to another, and we, there, we were then on a journey that uh, we were, the board were, um, the, which is the executive of Harness Racing Australia, were absolutely watertight. That this is something that they, were, they wanted to invest in, they wanted to see, see happen. And so... Um, the stallion registration fee was born, um, which is a uh, a fee that differentiates between different size and the different types of size where they might come from, and the different semen types, um, and that was utilised as a as a trigger to be able to then generate the funds that could be put into the, the uh, a slot race. How much that might be, how much money might be needed, all those sort of things. You know, people can now do the math and and work back from the um, from that, but. We knew that we had to be big to capture everyone's attention. We knew we had to find ourselves on a world stage and um, you know, we landed at this $2.1 million uh, event that has meant that you know, we are the world's richest harness race and not by a little bit, by a fair bit. It's a nice title to have. Well, it's an easy sell because you know, $2.1 million is a lot of money for us in our industry. But when a lot of people might understand the racing industry – that amount of money mightn't seem like a lot, particularly when you're putting against the Everest and Golden Eagles yeah. and Melbourne Cups and, and all these types of things. But when you're the biggest in the world, it's a real cut-through message. And you know, I understand the criticism and I understand the, um, the opinions and, I've, and you know, I respect those people that, are, that have had um, sort of thoughts about whether or not this was the right way to spend money or the right way to generate the revenue or the right way to, to head. But I genuinely do think in terms of the future of the sport um that it is and it has been and hopefully 
some of what we already touched on in the in the podcast so far was that it's not just about 10 people and 10 slots or 10 horses. There's lots of layers to this that has actually introduced or reintroduced the sport um, from a marketing perspective, a presentation perspective, but also so many of these horses, they have connections and stories and there's still some to unfold. The way in which we saw the Hayden run uh, recently up in Queensland, the benefit to that industry with having that race, now Shannon Price has got a runner in the race, she owns the horse, she bought the barrier, it's probably a $200,000 night for her. Yeah, yeah. She's guaranteed 45000 at the end of the um, uh, of, at the end of the 2nd of September, worst case scenario, it's a great outcome. Yeah. Things are kicked off down in Tassie now. What what a great and you know having been at their awards night um, at the end of the last racing season, and to a person at the end of uh, their awards, they all spoke about the Eureka and what an exciting thing it was for them. So their entire industries got behind it. They understand how good it is for them to to be a part of it. They're really um, they're really thrilled. So we've got that state angle, we've got that entrepreneurial slot holder angle, we've got you know. Wayne Loder, what a ripping fella, you know, what he's bringing to the table, Zavitanos's, so many parts of this, and, you know, I know they get a bit of publicity themselves, but Aaron Bain and Summit Bloodstock and what they're bringing, like, you know, they'll bring the best part of 500 people to the event, yeah, and all the yeah. people that they're sharing their stories with along the along the way. So, even choosing the slot holders was, you know, was was epic in its own, in its own way, we're oversubscribed, okay, gee, a lot of people got to the point where they thought they might have a slot race but couldn't then work out whether or not they'd have enough money on the table to be able to run the event and then the other part was will I actually be able to sell enough slots and here we are sitting there with you know, more more people interested than we... Yeah. Hey, so, then, so then we run a process, you know. Oh, early on you, you talked about breeding and, and, you know, and stimulating the economy of harness racing through breeding and, you know, on the infancy of drawing this up. I think one of the really interesting things around the, the conditions of the race is that it is purely for Australian bred three and four year old paces. What was the? What, can you take us inside the thinking and the logic around around that? And, and in, I guess ensuring the integrity of Australian breeding. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, quite often when I hear it ringing in my ears, um, directors around our board table, we are harness racing Australia. <laughs> What can we do to better protect, to better promote, to better look after? And you know, protectionism sometimes is a is a dirty word, um, and a lot of people don't don't like that in a, in a free market. And I understand that too. But if we look at further afield, and you know, probably um, the country going the best at the moment in our in our sport of harness racing is the French. There's only sixteen percent of races over there that, that are open races. The rest of them are for French bread only. They've made a, you know, not a career out of it, but they've built an industry on the back of, of protectionism. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to go that far, but what we have done is we've protected this race. Some layers in place. And yeah. got that in place. Yeah. And we haven't necessarily had, and I don't know whether or not the Eureka will become this, but I hope it will, that it becomes a stallion-making race. We haven't really had the Caulfield Guineas type race that you know has been a stallion making race that the thoroughbreds have had, and yeah, I'm sorry if some ways um, we refer to the thoroughbreds a little bit because we don't have to be the thoroughbreds. We don't have to be like the thoroughbreds. We can be our own people. I get that, 
But there's certainly things there that we can pick up, benchmark ourselves across and go, yeah, we need something like that. We see what's happening with that race. Or yeah. you know, it'd be good if we can turn that into into something from our own perspective. And, you know, I feel like already we've seen with the horses that are nominated for this year's inaugural running, it could well be a elite. stallion-making race yeah. in its first oh, it's, <laughs> in its it's, first iteration. You know? Yeah, it's absolutely elite. All right, um, okay, so you're talking about the slot holders. So I oversubscribed and... Um, how do you how do you go about even selling the dream? I mean, I guess I guess slot holders and ambitious slot holders and aspirational slot holders had a bit of a playbook to look at. As you said, we don't want to benchmark against the thoroughbreds too much, but you could sort of say, well, it's going to be like that, like what the Everest. So they knew kind of a little bit of what. Yeah, but it's a good deal. It was. Yeah, it's a good deal. So how, it's a million dollars so what, to the what winner. Did, right? So what did that marketplace look like? Like you sort of went out and was it phone ringing hot emails? Emails pinging every five seconds. How did it work? Yeah, those that were hot off the mark. Like as soon as um, I, I still remember being on the boat on Sydney Harbour in April last year uh, when we made the announcement, yeah. and all that morning the phone didn't stop. <laughs> and you know, some of those people will know who they are, but they never even put in an expression of interest. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it was, but it generated interest from that first moment. Yeah. It's like I want to be a part of this. I'm going to be a part of that. Yeah, you know yeah. and. And um, or how do I be a part of it? And what's this about? And and um, those calls were far and wide. It was really, really interesting. Um, and then we formally put the expressions of interest out, and yeah, there was some, there was some great, like right from the word go. Like to have John Singleton wanted to be a part of it. The you know, um, you know, from from the word go was you know it's it's half genius. You know, um, for him to be be involved from that perspective. But as you said. There's not two similar slot holders. They've all uh, got a different bent yeah, about yeah. them, or they've all got a different background, or a way they got to the to the sport, or found the or found the sport. And so it was. I've got to I've got to say it was a little nerve wracking, um, actually, through that period of time. As you know, until we had, you know, ten. So you're <laughs> and, nervous, and then you might not get the ten because because the skeptics are out there. Yeah. So there's a little bit yeah. of that, and and. You know, we're also going through a period of time where there's some campaign, there's some campaigns happening yep. against this getting off the ground, and there's still a lot of work and rearguard action happening by some that weren't supporters of this that wanted to see something different, or um, yeah, well, certainly the, certainly have the their say. The so. Pandemic as well, where you know economies were were, were, were struggling to some extent. Yeah, and, and it's going to take some time for all the things that we hope this would do to actually wash through and see if yeah. you know. The, the success of every little element of this on the way through, but what cannot, at this early stage, um, uh, what, what can't be knocked is how great this race is going to be. Yeah. And at the moment that we're talking about this, we only know six horses. <laughs> it's incredible. Isn't it? All right, so you see, so you, you get all these all these people and or syndicates or you know I don't know how collectively we're referring to these people, but basically um, applicants. Let's call yeah. them that. Let's call them applicants. Yep. How do you then, because what I think is fascinating about the 10 that have been chosen is, and you just alluded to this, they're all coming in with a different story and a different way to approach it, whether it be around how they select their horse, um, you know, what, what pomp and ceremony and you know, pageantry they're going to bring around that slot, how they're going to market the event in their own right, which adds into this big you know, mix of marketing the event as a, as a yeah, complete Yeah, it's a package. real melting like, pot, there's you, no doubt. So... 
those criteria must have been, you know, and those pictures that people said, hey, well, I want to be a slot holder because of, hey, I want this, but I've got this idea that's going to do this. That must have been cool to sift through some of the ideas that people had and that, as well. And that's exactly what happened. It, it was, tell us what you can do for us. So this is what we can do for yeah. you. Yeah. Here's how this will roll out. Yep. This is what you can be a part of. Yep. There's only 10 tickets. You get it for three years. Cost you three hundred to win three million. If we're looking at that, that's what that's yeah. a great deal. Like worst case scenario, you know, you get forty five for running last, but you'd think that you're having a shot at the stumps to at least finish top five one in, yeah. the, in the three years. Yep. Um, so then, it, then the application stage was in like benchmarking against. Okay, how and whom do we think out of those that we've got in front of us at the moment will do the best job for the event? And I keep saying the event. It's not a one year. It's not a one year thing. the The event is actually three. Yep. Three years. Um, and if I can just go back a, a little bit as well, it, it's been a very gutsy decision of um, the executive as well to make the decision about how this was all yeah, funded and put together, but to start it right away. Because in some ways, when you think about the stone registration fee, which is the foundation of the event. We still haven't started collecting money yeah. for that because the foals yeah. haven't hit the ground from the first year in which that um, registration fee was introduced. Yep. Yet we've had the confidence to move forward right from the word go and make it happen. Um, and it's, only, it's still only for Australian bred, Australian bred horses. So, yeah, it's there's lots of parts of this and there's been a lot of galvanised driving force of a lot of people to make this happen. So, yeah, I'm really happy to be sitting here and as part of the introduction saying, yeah, you've made this happen or whatever else, but whoever was sitting in this chair would have been given that role to bring it to life Um, because such was the wherewithal or the determination of the people who run Harness Racing Australia. And contrary to popular opinion, that's not... Andrew Kelly, <laughs> yeah. it's the members of Harness Racing Australia. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. Who all yeah. make those? Um, who yeah. all make those and, you, and you're being so. you're being yeah. humble in that, you know, in some respect. But someone's got to, you know, carry that carry the can when it comes to the administration of it. Um, the day you launched it, gee, we were uh, we were blessed with blessed with out on Sydney Harbour, beautiful sunshine, <laughs> like all the elements. Just well, it was our second go at it because the because um, we had to scratch the first yeah. first time because there was floods. And yes, yes, <laughs> and it would have been a bit of Walk a tin ear to be uh, <laughs> yeah, um, to be launching something on a day you know <laughs> in in a those conditions, yep. but then b when so many people within even the industry in New South Wales were doing it really tough yeah. um, yep. at that time and that should never be forgotten uh, by any of us. Um, you know, what a lot of people had to had to go through and, um, you know, I was reminded of some um, great stories or almost heroic stories out of Yagara, um, you know, during the week yeah. with different things that happened there and, um, yeah, credit to, um, to, to those people to be able to... Um, to have the wherewithal to continue to do what they could for our industry in, in spite of what was happening in their personal lives at that time. But, you know, we were absolutely, we were blessed with a few things that day. One was the uh, one was the weather and the calmness of the seas because I don't go all that great, to be honest, <laughs> um, out, in the, out on the water. Um, John Singleton got a little loose, which, you know, is <laughs> always good for um, a headline. And, on um, live. Live on national television. Yep. yep. Yeah, exactly right. Um, 
but also some credit where it's due that um, quite a few of the um, young licensed drivers and, and trainers within New South Wales could understand this concept from the word go. And again, despite what they thought might come their way, they were more than happy to put their heads and their face on the line and, and get right behind the concept. And full credit to them as well. They did a really good job on that day and you know, been great supporters of the concept all the way all the way through. So, And the conversation about the Tabureka, I don't think it's stopped since then. Like it's happening like, you know, hour by hour for us because we're like knee deep in it um actually probably neck deep in it to be honest but it's um yeah people have just wanted to talk about it from that word go so it was like who's going to get a slot you know how will the slots be determined Uh, you know how are the conflicts going to be managed out of this you know in terms of who the slot holders are who's going to host the event um who are the horses going to be who's the entertainment going to be how are you going to do the barrier you know, draw. Yeah, How is all this yeah. stuff going to happen? It's just been a bouncing ball all the way through with anticipation and interest. Yeah, and that's the thing. And it's it's not just a race meeting. It's it's probably the the race is one part of it, but probably much bigger than that is the is the event that goes around the race. That, that's what what we found. And you know, obviously, you're far more detailed in all of this than than I am. I'm, I'm a bit player in the little bit that I do, and. It's the understanding of the magnitude of this thing. It I've is, forgotten about it, to be honest. It's a Herculean <laughs> event to be putting together. Like, it's been a long time since I've run run events, um, since my days in cricket and AFL footy and working in administration there. So, yeah, having sort of, you know, moved across into full-time regulation or administration, if you like, through various roles within the harness racing industry and including in this, I'd forgotten how big a job it is, you know, every little detail, every part of it, you know, and it's only getting more difficult with, you know, licences and um, being able to have your contracts and everything up to scratch and, and, and in place. And that includes with, you know, the slot holders themselves. And um, Tabu, we've mentioned before, are a great um, naming right partner of this, but ensuring that, you know, all their rights are protected and, you know, there's a, there's a lot happening in the wagering space at the moment and there's um, also a lot to protect from this event perspective. So all the slot holders had to be able to um, have the wherewithal to sign on to our obligations and expectations of them um, yeah. as well, which you know, we probably forget about sometimes, but yeah, they are they are a promotional network or channel for us um, through this as well. Mate, you recently went to Sweden. Was that was that part of the, I guess, the recce on the, on the Eureka in some ways of saying, well, how are, how are these big grand-scale events in our sport internationally doing this and you know we're, we're unashamedly prepared to take things from events that are done well was that part of that yeah it was a little bit it was also to support um uh greg sugars and jess yeah. tubbs while they were there and ensure that you know language barriers and that type of thing didn't get in the way of them being able to perform at their best and then we all know what happened on that particular day yeah. which was you know sort of beyond control if you like but in terms of setting it up and making sure there was someone on the ground to help them out at that time because you know some people would be familiar that i've had the great fortune to uh, visit Sweden on a number of occasions and get to know like a lot of the people there, a lot of the administrators, whether it be at ATG or Sphinx Travsport, uh, or trainers and um, you know Stig Johansson himself have had the um, the benefit to meet him on several occasions and 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 build up a bit of a rapport. So there was there was that part there was that part of it. So let's just say the logistics, if you like, and that and that aspect of it. Um, but 
it was also just to see like where they're at at the moment. You know, where are they still doing the pink bus that takes a drive around, or are they doing something different? We hopefully a lot of people saw uh, the way in which the drivers were presented to the crowd and that pageantry around yeah. the pink smoke and the rock star sort of feel, and that that doesn't have to happen when the horse goes onto the track. This is done like you know two hours before the event yep. in a build up. Yep. Um, you know, it's, it's it's building momentum for that finale. It's not all done in twelve minutes. Yep. You know, it's yep. uh, it's it's part of the package and. That's what I'm hoping that people will find when they come uh, to um, Club and Angle on the second of September. Is that this is an entire package? It's not just yeah, it's not just the race. It's more than that. Um, but we'll all feel really proud and happy about what what we've been able to to put on. When I say we, I'm talking on the okay. whole industry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is an industry event, but the ten slot holders are playing a really important role yeah, of taking this to the masses. Yep. I hope you're enjoying this special chat with Harness Racing Australia Chief Executive Andrew Kelly. Still so much more to get through. That's where we'll end part A. Part B is available for you to listen to right now.